Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us again for All Things Evangelism. I'm here today with uh, a good friend and colleague who works here in the Seventh-day Adventist Church Conference office, uh, Sven Ostring. Mm, good to be here, Matt. <laughs> thank you for coming, man. No uh, worries at all. Yeah, for those of you guys who don't know Sven, uh, he is the church plant director for our conference. He's been with us for about two, two and years. a half. Yeah, two years. Yeah. Wow, time flies. Mm. We were just sitting here talking about how being a parent makes time fly. It does. Yeah. Well, we've got an exciting uh, topic to discuss today, Sven, and uh, our podcast today is entitled, well, not entitled, but our episode is Worship Him Who Made. Mm. So this is all things evangelism. We're talking about worshiping Him Who Made, and this podcast is going to be all about evolution and how the theory of evolution and different forms of it affect evangelism and the Christian faith. Mm. And so... Yeah, just to get the ball rolling, Sven, what what do you think the effects of adopting different versions of evolutionary thinking mm. have on the faith, on biblical Christianity? Yeah, it comes down to this this issue of our picture of God. That's ultimately the the real real issue, and, and and that applies in so many different ways. You know, say for example, if if you talk to an atheist and you know they they say, look, I can't believe in a, in a God who who could send people um, to eternal torment in hell. You know, the, the big issue is this: is that it's the picture of God which we are portraying or, or you know proclaiming to the world. Yes. So so the question is is this: is what kind of picture of God? Are we proclaiming to the world when we um, uh, teach theistic evolution or evolutionary creationism, or if we teach progressive creationism? What what kind of picture of God is it? The same picture, or is it a different picture? And and how does it how does it relate? How does it compare to to what the Bible is really saying here? Mm-hmm. And and what I get as I as I read through. The, the Bible, you know, particularly in Genesis, Genesis 3, I guess, would be a really key, key point, but also all the way down to, to Revolu- uh, Revelation. Sorry. Revelation is this, is that can we take God at his word? Can, can we really, when he says something, can we believe it? If God says, you know, you shall not eat of the um, tree of the, um, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, can we can we trust him? Do we trust him? Or, or do we somehow say, we know better? We know better than that. We've, we've figured it out. We, we, uh, we think that this direction would be better. And that's what Satan always wants to, to um, make us do. He, he says, did God really say that? No. That, that comes back to the very original um, spiritual diversion, the, the, the trap that Satan got us to, to start heading down. And this is really, really important for us as evangelists. Can we take God at his word? Is he trustworthy? And, and closely associated with this is, you know, that, that Satan undermined God's integrity. He, he said, you know, his very first statement was, did God really say that you cannot eat of any tree in the Garden of Eden? And what, what he was implying was this, is God so restrictive that, that he wouldn't allow you to eat of any tree? And then when we come back to the issue of 
of creation and evolution. It really comes down to this. When, when the Bible says that in, in six days God created the heavens and the earth, which is right bang in the middle of the Ten Commandments. You know, in the Fourth Commandment, it's the very reason for, for, for us to worship on the Sabbath. Can we take God at his word? Can we take God at his word? I want to pick up on something you said there. Two things that, that, that you said. One, and, and you can correct me if you weren't implying this, mm. but the theory of evolution, when it's mingled with biblical faith, when people start to teach the idea that God, you know, the days of, of Genesis are really just long eras of time, and they kind of mingle the idea of creation with evolution. Yes. They're, they're warping the, the picture that Scripture gives us of God because to work through these bloody, cruel, vicious, natural processes to bring about life does not seem consistent with God, with a God of love, right? Yes. So, so it, it makes sense. It's consistent with the God of love that you had a perfect creation that was made fiat by, by his word. Correct. And it was all in harmony and there was no death, there was no misery, no sorrow, no pain. And then sin enters in, violating God's law of because love. Because of our choice. Because of our choice. And That's then that right. brings evil and pain and death. But if if you if if you if you have this idea of you know God starting, you know, generating life at the molecular level and then you know through death processes over time, you know, yes. he develops that life and then th- then certain life forms begin to prey on others and kill others, but he's all working through that to bring about like yes. eventual perfection. Yes. That seems a bit nasty it, it is it is a very very nasty um picture it, yeah. it, it it's almost a god who who doesn't really care about these um these these animals now we have to acknowledge that there there were animal sacrifices in the old testament yep. um there there was you know a reasonably large amount of of killing and death amongst animals um and you see this in the genesis account as well genesis 3 after adam and eve sinned God effectively killed an animal, created clothes out of animal skins, and clothed naked Adam and Eve um, to to cover their shame, shall I say. But you have to remember that these were in response to sin, in response to our doubt and our mistrust of God. It, It wasn't the way God used to create this world. And that's a vastly different thing. You know, it's it's um, like, you know, with, with parenting, what you were talking about before. You know, we may um, need to, to have some kind of approach of saying to our kids, you know, we have to take some um, disciplinary measures, shall I say. But that's, that's in response to, to bad choices, if, if I could put it that way. We don't lead with that. We don't start with that. And that's what I see with um, uh, uh, Darwinian um, evolutionary approaches to, to creation, where, where you actually say God used these to create life. And that goes completely against the text, where it says it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. And it's creation um, by fiat by a morally perfect God, loving God. And, and that's the picture we get in the Bible, and that's a vastly different picture that we get with an evolutionary creationist kind of viewpoint, a theistic evolutionary create, um, point as well. Now, it is also important to remember that even with progressive creationism, which kind of allows God to step in every so often, every few million years, the same problem is, is true as well, because there's a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, you know, that goes on before human beings come onto the scene as well. 
There's two other things that I want to um, really focus on in our discussion here would be uh, the second thing is that theistic evolution and Darwinism actually um, downplays the, the fact that God works supernatural miracles. That, that he is not bound by the natural laws that, that he has established, that he can, he can step in, he can create a dolphin by fiat. He, he can, he can um, create a man out of dust and breathe life into him, and, and the man, the human being, comes to life. So, so what we don't understand is that Darwin actually grew up in a, in a home, in a society, in English society, where they were becoming very, um, uh, they were downplaying, they, were, they didn't believe that God worked miracles in, in our lives. He, it was, was basically this idea that God worked miracles during the life of Jesus, but that was a particular time, a particular place for a particular reason, but all those miracles have stopped. But the thing is this, is if you don't believe in miracles, if you don't believe that God can create the heavens and the earth, if you don't believe that he can say, let there be light and there's light, if you don't believe that he can create the sun, the moon and the stars, it actually starts in your mind to downplay the idea that God can work miracles in your life and he can work miracles in my life. So that if I pray, that God will actually work in my life. And we, and we forget that in evangelism, part of the thing is to say, God will actually do something amazing in your life. He'll heal your mom from, from cancer. Um, he'll heal your, your uncle you know, with, with, with back pain or you know, infertility and things like this. And, and so by, by bringing in this idea, which is basically based on this idea that God does not work by miracles and supernatural intervention, but simply works slowly through processes uh, that, that we can just observe scientifically, this means that we don't expect or ask for miracles. And that has a huge impact from an evangelistic point of mm. view. Totally. I was thinking as you, as you speak, you, you've you got to be dull to not pick up the implications of, of what you're saying. The Bible promises that God will give us a new heart. That's like right. Just, the, Ezekiel 36, 26. I'm going to take that heart of stone out of you, and I'm going to replace it with a heart of flesh. The yes. new covenant promises that God will write his law on my heart. Correct. Now, we say this all the time in, in, the, in the church. As if, but, but I don't think we really grasp what we're saying. We talk about the greatest miracle of all is the changed life, is a changed heart. That's true. Like, that mm. is true. Because can an Ethiopian change the color of his skin? Can a leopard change his spots? No. Then how, how can you, who are born with a certain natural disposition, change that natural disposition? In essence, the Bible is saying, like, you are not determined by how you were born, your genetics, or any of these kinds That's of external right. natural factors, because God is a supernatural God, and he can do supernatural things in you. And, and so it's, it's like you can change. Yes. You know, the person who is an alcoholic can no longer be addicted to, to alcohol without. Now, I'm not going to downplay the intervention of professionals, but without the intervention of professionals, like without, you know, psychiatric counseling or AA programs, it can happen, um, and I'm not saying that as a spectator. I'm someone who who was who who suffered with addiction 
mm. who got freed from addiction through looking to Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, further to this, you the, the violent person, the impatient person, the covetous person, the dishonest person, like that person cannot just change in some modified sense where they kind of just altered their behavior, but they can change. Yes. And, and it's important to believe that. And if you, if you think that it took evolutionary processes for God to bring the world into existence, well, then it's going to be kind of hard to think that God can actually empower my evangelistic witness so that people around me can actually be changed and converted. Yes, and that's absolutely right, Matt, because, you know, in Psalms 51, it says, create in me a clean heart, a new heart, create. That word is, in the Hebrew, is bara, which is exactly the same word which is found in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And and bara is only what God can do. It's a it's an um, it's a miracle. It's it's a creation by fiat, and and so you're absolutely right. Evangelism is about seeing miracles occur. People become new creation, as as Paul said. And this is this is not just a process. It's not just natural processes. This, this is a divine, supernatural work. And we need to believe that God can do it in the lives of the people that we're working with, just like he did during Jesus' ministry, you know, when he healed people and turned people who are blind, they could now see, restore their sight, you know, uh, lepers became clean, paralytics could now walk. The same creative power that he worked in the week of uh, creation, those six days, six days of amazing miracles. So this is so important that that God works miracles and he changes people's lives. He heals people and, and people people's lives will will start to experience the um, the the power and the presence of God. So, so important. But there's another key aspect as well is this, is that when you start to... Uh, accept a Darwinian understanding of creation um, and the evolutionary process where we really are just animals, evolved animals, really, you know, then, then it starts to really undermine why do we need a saviour? Why, 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 why do we need a saviour to, to get us out of this? Because... This was the process through which God created. Dude, that is powerful. Because, because you cannot be held morally responsible. Correct. For behavior that you practice that's just determined by the natural evolutionary processes that brought you into existence. That's exactly right. So, so you have a moral sense. You have rationality. How did you get that? According to Darwinism, it's because of the natural process that God allowed to work. So you don't really need a savior, do you? You, wh- why not? Because you're 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 a pretty amazing animal, Matt. I, I'm just, I'll give you the credit for it. You know, from a Darwinian perspective, why not allow those processes to continue working until you you reach, you know, scientific nirvana? Did you see my point? Excellent point. You you just totally start to 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 discredit the whole meaning and the role of Jesus Christ as our Savior. Absolutely, you know. If if you, I'm just thinking. I've never I've never considered that point in relationship to evolution. So I'm a, I'm a bit like, wow, that's that's a great 
that that could be you could write a book on that. Yeah, definitely. But the this is a point. implications of evolutionary theory because the the basic fact of 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 Christianity is that you need to be born again. That's right. The implication of when Jesus said to Nicodemus in John three, "Verily, verily, I say unto you, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God." That that statement implies that there was something wrong with Nicodemus's birth condition. But could, how could how could you say? That there's something wrong with someone's birth condition when their birth condition is just the processes of evolutionary, uh, sorry, the result of evolutionary processes that God himself instituted to bring people into existence. That's right. Right? And so I've said this in a sermon that I've preached on John 3 on multiple occasions, that God does not hold us accountable for the way we were born. So Mm. as soon as you hear that statement, you need to be born again, some people then draw the implication, like they, they draw the conclusion that, okay, well, God's holding me accountable for my birth condition, but I didn't have anything to do with how I was born. Mm. So why can you tell me I need to be born again? And, you know, this kind of stuff. But in verse 17, Jesus says to Nicodemus that God does not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Mm. So therefore, God is not holding you responsible or accountable for your birth condition. But then he says, um, but then he he goes on to say, um, after he says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He says in verse 20, this is the condemnation. This is what God holds you accountable for. That mm. light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light. So God doesn't hold us accountable for our birth condition, but he does hold us accountable for staying in it once we see the light. Yes. Right? So, so Jesus has come into the world, come into the experience of humanity, born our sins, carried our sorrows, and then was crucified on our behalf and then raised from the dead for our sakes. Yes. So, so this is all done for us because there's something wrong with our birth condition. So Jesus needs to recreate us in himself, and he does that through his death, burial, and resurrection. And, uh, but but if, if evolution is fact, and God brought us into existence through that process, then all of this stuff makes no sense. Yes. You can't say to someone, you need to be born again. You can't hold someone accountable for staying in their birth condition because their birth condition is natural. It's exactly how it's supposed to be. And that's the way God that's brought the way them God, into existence. Yeah, God yeah. brought you into existence. Mm. It renders completely incoherent the logic of the gospel. That's right. And, and this is the thing, uh, Matt, is that evangelism is about bringing the good news that Jesus has come to save us. And he's not only come to save us, but all of creation. So so it's not, you know, we're not uh, forgetting about the animals. We don't say, well, who cares about their pain and suffering? No, all of creation wants to be renewed and restored. This is part of the biblical vision for the future. So, so the... the uh, evolution really starts to undermine even the gospel itself, you know, which we find in in the Bible. But I want to even push it further because you know that that could be a Baptist saying that that could be a Pentecostal. What about what about from the Seventh Day Adventist perspective? And I want to uh, highlight, you know, there was an article written a few years ago um, called "God is Love." And it was it was comparing intellectual Adventism with, shall I say, the uh, the the Adventism that that is based around um, our fundamental beliefs and and has been kind of like the driving force for our church from 1844, which is one of the most amazing, exciting things. Is this is that Jesus is coming soon, right? Jesus is coming soon. And one of the things the article said is this, is intellectual Adventism denigrates time. 
we 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 we're not interested in time with regards to creation we're not interested in time with regards to prophecies we're not interested in time with regards to the second coming as well so soon is of irrelevance to us all we're looking at is you know the the justice and love of god which we've already said is called into question by um, neo-darwinism but the question is this is does time appear in the Bible with regards to creation and prophecy? Yes, it does, all, at, all over the place, all the time, shall I say. You know, there's many time prophecies, but in particular, and let's, let's be really specific and let's really focus at the core of, our, of what we believe. We believe that Jesus is coming soon. Does that fit into an evolutionary paradigm? Not really at all. You know, and, you know, evolutionary paradigms say, well, this world will just continue on going, continue on evolving. There, there's, there's, no, there's no real urgency because God is just working through these natural processes. You know, it took billions of years for us to get here. It'll take billions of years. Let's just sit back, relax, and, and talk about God is, is love which the whole foundations is undermined. But in particular, let, let's push it forward a bit. God has a plan to create a new heavens and a new earth. And the question is, is he going to do that through an evolutionary process? Or is he going to do it through a supernatural intervention where he's going to step into this world and come back in the midst of our darkness to, to intervene to bring us to a new place and, and to, to, to take us home. And then, you know, before our eyes, he creates the new heavens and the new earth. Look, look Matt, I, in, in all of my understanding of the Bible, I do not see us, you know, sitting there in the new Jerusalem for, for millions and billions of years watching, you know, amoebas crawl out of, you know, warm little ponds and, and, and dinosaurs fight it out with, right. you know, with, with um, um, you know, birds and fish and whatever. I just do not see it. And this is the thing is that Darwinism starts to undermine our, our whole prophetic vision and hope for the future as well. And this is why, this is why, Matt, you know, at the very time when God raised up our church, he gave us a message, which is part of the, the title of this, you know, this, this episode, which is fear God and give him glory for the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens and the earth. You know, we are called to proclaim a message of creation, that God is actively involved in our lives, to, to bring people back. And so at the very heart of it, you know, is this fact that when we teach theistic evolution and progressive creationism, we are being unfaithful to the message that God has given us mm -hmm. to share. It's amazing because in Reve the first angel's message there in Revelation 14, this idea of judgment is intertwined with the idea of creation yes. that God created. God has the right to, to judge, judge as because he's the creator. Yes. He's the one who designed this place. And, uh, and further to that, the character that is revealed through that fact is 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 the kind of character that's entitled to judge yes right so god is righteous god is just god is loving and he made this place and therefore he has the right to 
to judge. Interesting. Hey, this, this is powerful. So, and also coming back to what you're saying as well, um, Peter in the book of Acts, as well as Paul, actually identified that Jesus' right to judge is connected with his resurrection. So God actually said, you know, I will demonstrate to you who will judge this world. And it's because of the resurrection. But, you know, we see God's creative power at work in the resurrection. In the resurrection. And this is so important that, you know, we, we cannot untie, we cannot, you know, break apart creation, um, you know, the incarnation, the resurrection, and our eschatology. We, we, we have to teach the biblical history of God's love. And so once we un- start to unravel the very beginning, those threads start to unravel the, the rest That's of this right. story. It, it's an incredible, it's incredibly corrosive to our whole um, understanding of, of what God is doing in our lives. And this is, this is what people, I think, need to understand. Very, very clearly, they need to understand this. The desire to fit in. Yes. The d- desire for status on an intellectual level drives certain people to try to integrate evolutionary theory into Christian faith. Mm. And they don't realize what you're saying. They don't understand fully the implications of what they're doing. So they're basically, in order to to save face, in order to seem intelligent, in order to avoid the label of of, of small-minded, uh, avoid the label of, you know, just unsophisticated. They, they adopt certain versions of evolutionary theory. They incorporate it into their faith belief system. And then that becomes a car- cancer that eventually mm. kills the whole system. Yes. And many people don't see this. And I love what you said about the, you see the power of creation at work in the resurrection of Jesus. Yes. If un- understood correctly, the g- people... The gospel is an act of recreation. Absolutely. Because sin rendered our race like unsalvageable. So there's no level of modification that could be done to make it okay. Um, mm. You know, sin couldn't just be kind of erased with some kind of divine eraser. Like it, we were rendered spiritually dead. Spiritually dead. Like there's nothing that can be done. Mm. The only thing that could be done, if it's possible, is you could you could take the race out of existence and then recreate it mm, mm. because the sins have to be atoned for. Obviously, justice requires that. But further to this, the the being itself has been so affected by this rebellious spirit of death and sin that that it just has to be remade. Yes. And so Jesus Christ, he created the world in six literal days. And he recreated it as well with his death, burial, and resurrection. And that was necessary. And that's why... Mm. So there's so much... That's a whole other talk. But I don't think people understand this. So, Sven, I just loved what we've been talking about. And we were saying before the podcast that this is a short-form discussion. We usually go around the 30-minute mark. Um, But today I'm thinking, boy, I wish we went three hours. So I have to get you back. But... Could you just kind of, I'm sure you've got about six or seven really awesome thoughts swimming in your head in the one to two minutes we have left. Could you just maybe close off our conversation and our discussion in regards to worship him who made, mm. what are the effects of evolution on Christian faith and by, by, by extension, evangelism? Yes. So if we go to the heart of Revelation, the, the heart of Revelation is who do you worship? 
Do you, do you worship the creator or do you worship a man-made system? That, that is at the very essence. And when you worship the creator, you need to accept him at his word. You need to accept him with his power, with his authority, with what he has revealed to us. That's revelation. That's on one hand. We, it's a call, worship him who created because our time is running out. We, we need to be on the, the winning side, uh, the, the victorious side. On the other hand, is another message, which is this, which is we worship a, a man-made system, Babylon, confusion, you know, and it's a rebellion against God. And I want to tell you this, that, that ultimately... And people don't know this, but but creation, we're worshiping the creator of the Bible. Evolution is based on, on actually worshiping and accepting the authority of human reason and rationality in the way that we look at this world. We look at the, you know, the DNA, the fossils, the radiometric dating, all of those things. We figure it out. Do we follow God? God's way, or do we follow our own reason, our sinful reason, where it leads? And my call for, for us today is worship the Creator, because God is going to work powerful things evangelistically through our lives when He does. Amen. Thank you guys so much for joining us on this episode of All Things Evangelism. You can join us next week. We look forward to seeing you then. God bless you all. Thanks, Sven, for coming. Appreciate you. <laughs>